So here we are talking to Dr. Simon Harrison about his recently published book, The Impulse to Gesture, and his forthcoming book, The Body Language Myth. Thank you, Simon, for, for coming to talk to us today. With, with two books coming so close together, I appreciate that you're very busy, so thank you for the time. You're today. welcome. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. So to kick off with a big one, uh -huh. um, why do we make the gestures that we do? How much of our body language is impulsive versus responsive? Lots is the simple answer. We are continuously gesturing when we talk. Some people more than others, definitely. But if you look at people in everyday conversations, the hands almost seem to be continuously in motion. And in gesture studies, we say that this is very spontaneous. In fact, we call these kind of gestures spontaneous gestures. And so the responsive part, do you think that that plays a big part in it? So what exactly do you mean by responsive? Do you mean the ways that you might gesture in relation to what somebody's just said? So if somebody puts a hand up for a high five uh -huh. and we put our hand up there, or if somebody's folding their arms, do we instinctively fold our arms as well? Uh, that's really interesting because that's like two different kinds of gesturing. One is collaborative. There are certain kinds of gestures that require two people, like a handshake or a high five. And then the other one you mentioned is when somebody does something like puts a hand up to stay stop and we react to that in a way that shows that we understand what that gesture means and that we take that into account in making sense of what the person is trying to say or what the person is trying to do in their communicative move, like, for example, to interrupt you or to reject something that you've said. That's very interesting. I will take that on board <laughs> when, I, uh, when I'm next high-fiving. Um, so thinking about what your, your, the body language myth, mm -hmm. what, for you, is the biggest body language myth that you would like to dispel <laughs> here today? The whole notion of body language. It's very problematic. Um, one of the biggest problems is that body language seems to have become the popular science of face-to-face -face communication. Now, the problem is it's only popular. There's no science. What the science tells us instead is this, that our bodies do not have a kind of separate language that's different and distinct from speech, mm -hmm. but that language use requires all kinds of different modalities of expression working together in face-to-face -face communication. So I think one of the biggest body language myths is that the body has a language that's separate from speech and that it's communicating messages or body language experts tend to say it's sending signals without us knowing. So it's kind of a deceptive form of communication and apparently can get us into trouble. And that's where these body language experts come in because they say, well, look, I can teach you how to read the signals and that will give you an upper hand in your interactions. But as I mentioned earlier, the science on face-to-face -face communication, which comes from three main fields, gesture studies, multimodal interaction and embodied cognitive science, has shown very clearly that the way we move our bodies and the way we speak is fundamentally integrated into one communication system. So the messages that we convey with our bodies when we're speaking are consistent and coherent to what we're saying. Otherwise, it wouldn't make, it wouldn't make sense the way we're moving and speaking because it's all part of one communication system. If it's all connected, mm -hmm. 
What do you think is our most expressive form of communication? What is the most expressive part of us? Is it our language, our mm. eyes, our face, our hands? If you could put one the other, what, what would you say? Mm. Or is that completely pointless? It's very difficult to do um, because imposing a kind of hierarchy on the features of communication that we use might work in one context, but then you shift to another context and the hierarchy will be completely different. We call this multimodal communication. Multi as in multiple and modal as in different modes. So you might say that speaking is one mode mm -hmm. and bodily gestures are another mode. And we say that in some contexts, okay, maybe the gestural mode is going to be more salient and more frequently used. And then in other situations, the verbal or the spoken mode might be more salient. For example, a telephone call is more verbally or vocally salient than gesturally, although we do gesture when we're on the telephone. I don't know if you've ever noticed. And then in other contexts, maybe where it's noisy or if there are certain constraints on spoken language, then maybe gestures will come to the front and they will be hierarchically more important. But the notion of a hierarchy is also very problematic. It's better to view um, the body and language together as a pool of communicative resources mm -hmm. that depending on the social situation and the context that people are in and the kind of uh, the kind of message or communication that they want to use will determine how they decide to draw on those different resources and this is not just fixed in a particular context either it can change depending on what message somebody wants to say um, who they're speaking to and this can all change over the course of an interaction that's very interesting so that brings me to my next question which mm -hmm. is around setting mm -hmm. and how that impacts on our gestures on our body language i know i behave very differently around mm -hmm. a board table to how i do at the pub so how, what are the key differences? What do you would you say between workplace and social, classroom and playground? Okay, well, first of all, I'd be interesting to know, uh, how do you think you behave differently in, say, a social situation, let's say an after-work drink at the pub, and a professional situation, let's say the board meeting? I think probably more relaxed in the playground with friends i'm i'm not i'd say more open mm -hmm. um less professional uh certainly so probably yeah i mean that's a good question um but i think i yeah i'd say probably more open and more free-flowing maybe and would you less say ums okay um <laughs> when you're in a professional setting or when you're in a social setting uh, you would maybe say that you would be more open or free-flowing and would you say that this accounts for both also your language use and also the way that you would use your body in that particular context as well I think if I'm in the pub I'd be probably under the influence so that would also impact on on conversational body language um, so it might become more loose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think again. Am I am I against the norm, or do I? <laughs> there are so many factors that will influence the way that we use 
the way that we communicate. And as I've said previously, communication is an integration of these different modes. And certain modes are more salient in certain contexts and depending on what kind of communication is taking place. If you are, let's say, in a social situation and you feel more relaxed and you feel more open, then I think that both your speech and your gestures, the whole multimodal system, would be behaving in a particular way. You would be using your vocal apparatus and your your linguistic tools in the same way that you would be using your bodily resources as well um, to communicate consistently with that particular setting. Whereas if you're in a meeting, a very professional setting where you have very specific tasks that you want to achieve and you have certain language that you have to use, then also there will be very systematic ways of gesturing that go along with those different tasks and that maybe there are also in particular professional settings there are certain key gestures that people perform as well and we see this a lot in in uh, political discourse when a certain speaker is trying to get a point across very forcefully and you see a certain gesture recur i also saw this in one of the studies in the impulse to gesture in the context of a business meeting where one of the speakers at the meeting kept performing a gesture related to negation and this was because their role in that meeting it was it was relevant to their role to be assertive and to be direct and to be very clear and this gesture that i've studied in the book which is related to negation is also a way of expressing something directly or expressing something clearly and categorically. So by performing that gesture in a business meeting context, it could be a way that people try to come across as clear, direct and categorical as well. Okay, so going back to you, Simon, and Mm -hmm. being in the classroom, Mm -hmm. are there gestures the body language of your students that you pick up on in that environment? How does that environment change how we behave? Exactly. It's a very rich environment to observe uh, language in interaction, which, as I've said, involves not only verbal components, but also gestural and bodily components. Now, there are some resource guides available for teachers about body language. You see this. But that seems to be distinct from research into gestures in teaching and learning. So again, you have these more um, popular science guides for teachers explaining how teachers and students should or could use their body language. And then on the other hand, you have this scientific body of research that's studying exactly how students and teachers do use their gestures in context for teaching and learning. And there are some very specific kinds of gestures that you find students using to help each other learn. For instance? Well, coming back to one of the gestures you mentioned at the beginning, you said a high five. or And I said, well, that's a bit like shaking hands where you have collaborative gestures. Sometimes what you see between students is they're negotiating the answer to a question, working in pairs, and as they're talking to each other, they're using their gestures. And it's and what you'll see is it's not like one student says something, then the other student says something, and then the, the first student says something again. You don't see those very clear turns. What you see is them constructing meaning together. 
So sometimes they'll interrupt each other. Uh, they will say some. They will overlap each other, say something at the same time. And again, with their gestures, sometimes you see that their hands are both speakers, both students' hands are in the space in front of them, mm-hmm. and they seem to be constructing joint models together and adding little bits of it. Uh, into each other's model and together creating the understanding and sometimes their understanding can only be you can only see that they've really learned and really understood understood something by taking into account both what they're saying and this kind of mini model of gestures that they're making with their hands and they do that collaboratively together and that's one way that the students co-construct meaning together and sometimes teachers are involved too because they can come along and uh, also begin gesturing with the students collaboratively to help them learn. That's really interesting. So I guess coming back to you, we talked about you in the classroom, What? tell us a bit about your journey to this being a gesture studies researcher, a body language expert. Where, where, how did you get to this, this point? Well, believe it or not, I began with probably the most traditional and oldest form of linguistic study, which is grammar grammar analysis and you might think well what on earth does grammar have to do with gestures and bodily movements because when you think of grammar you might think of that old book of rules and syntax and uh, whether or not you how to form questions and and uh, what kind of tenses to use that's a traditional understanding of grammar but actually grammar is also what we use to structure the way we're speaking and if I wasn't using grammar now you might not be able to understand this, uh, what I'm saying as, for example, English. But as I'm speaking, I'm also using gestures. And the teacher who taught me about grammar, Professor Jean-Rémy Père at the University of Bordeaux, he also taught me to look at the embodied dimension of grammar. Because as I said, when people are speaking, they're also moving their hands. And we can make connections between the grammar they're using and the gestures they're using. So one of the research projects I did is looking at negation, which is a particular area of grammar. It's a linguistic universal, which means that all languages have these sets of forms for expressing negation in their grammar. And I looked at this for English and filmed uh, people having conversations and looked at every moment where they use these negative structures in English, like no, not, never, nothing. And then I looked at the videos to see how they use their hands when they were expressing these grammatical particles. And I found a lot of systematicity in the kind of forms of gestures that they performed. Yeah. Okay. That's, and that brings you to now and thinking, mm. right, okay, I, this is a tick I have to scratch sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, so that leads me to my next question, which is add, as a gesture studies mm-hmm. expert do you have an off mode are you constantly analyzing how people are behaving or talking yeah is there an off mode to dr simon harrison i think there must be because i'm not constantly thinking about gestures but that said whenever i find myself in a certain social situation or maybe a professional situation and i see people performing gestures then I'll maybe recognise something that I've read about in the literature or something that I'm studying on my own. I can see that. So you're, current, you're currently based in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Is, are there differences, nuances that you see in the different cultures that you're experiencing locally there that, that you don't, didn't experience back here? Absolutely. There are certain gestures that 
unless you speak Cantonese or unless you are raised in Hong Kong, you would not understand. For instance? For instance, there's a counting system where you count numbers on your hand and we could probably do that in English together if we were ordering drinks or buying something from the supermarket. We'd know how to say eight or nine or three. Now, in Cantonese, it's very different. So if you don't know that number system and someone asks you for a certain number using the hand gesture, you won't know it. So there are all these, lit and, and that's just one area of very conventionalized gestures to learn about. And then there are these gestures that are very connected to the grammar of their speech. And Cantonese grammar is different to English grammar. So I could look for uh, these so-called recurrent gestures that I've studied for English grammar in Cantonese. And we'll see differences, but also similarities there as well. So really, when you live in a multilingual environment, there is a lot to keep you interested as a gesture researcher. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I, uh, it, what won't come across in the, this podcast is how much you've used your hands during talking <laughs> to me and to elaborate on the points that you're making. Mm -hmm. And that now, I feel... I'm picking up on that just mm. on the basis of this conversation. But um, I'm really grateful to you mm. for coming today. And huge thanks, Simon, for sharing your thoughts and your findings with us. It's a really fascinating topic. And I know one that, that everyone will really enjoy reading, uh, reading, listening about. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. Well, it seems you're a bit more aware about what kind of gestures people use now if you say that I gesture quite a lot. Would you say you gesture quite a lot? Would you? Are you self-aware about? Are you more self-aware as a? I'll have to look into some videos because I've never thought about that. But thank you for pointing it out. <laughs> I, d I would say, but I, th I think I am myself also quite expressive with my body. Like I'm aware of that. So it's just a shame that that doesn't come across on the on the podcast. We'll have to do a video. Yeah, we'll do a video next time. <laughs> well, thank you very much for today. Thank you.